All right, let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful for the life that you give us and how many times you have preserved us. We're grateful, Lord, for these things. We're, We're grateful that you not only preserve our physical life, but you preserve our spiritual life in our hearts and our minds uh, through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Uh, perhaps we'll begin to study that great event here this evening if we get that far. Lord, uh, we, we pray regarding our nation Uh, These things are on our mind. Uh, Lord, you can just leave us to ourselves, and we're good at destroying ourselves, either personally or nationally. would be a mercy for your intervention. Thank you for the freedoms we still have. Help us be faithful in preaching your gospel and defending it and not being ashamed of it. We commit ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Okay, as we're working our way through the, <clears throat> excuse me, through the New Testament, we're up to the book of Acts, which shows us the founding and expansion of Christ's New Testament, New Testament church. And we, we've been in the upper room with a 10-day period and and the, la- the last thing in the upper room uh, information was the calling of Matthias uh, to replace Judas uh, to bring the apostles back up to the number 12. And uh, tonight we're going to try to complete that. Uh, I kind of baited you with the question last week, like, well, why, need- why did there need to be 12? Or do, do you think there's something significant about the fact that Jesus chose 12 apostles and not 10 or 7 or, or 14 or 40 or, or, left it or left it at 11. He, yeah, left it at 11. What, what's the significance of 12? I said we'd talk about that. Um, 12 what? Yeah, of course, that's the association. And I want, I want to talk about that here this evening. And that's what we have there on page two, uh, 272. Your questions and comments are always, always welcome. So is there significance of Jesus choosing 12 apostles? Well, it's obvious that, uh, that having 12 apostles has some significant association with the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, certainly each apostle isn't from one of the tribes, so... So we, we're beyond the direct ethnic connection here. There's 12 apostles, but you're certainly not going to prove that each one is descendant from one of the 12 tribes. Okay, so. One of them are brothers. <laughs> well, that is correct. Yeah, some of them are brothers, so they can't be from different, from different tribes. The, the point I'm making is there's not an attempt here to keep the ethnic lines figured out regarding the fact that he chose 12 apostles. But the symbolism is obviously significant. And uh, and I'll just briefly sketch how I understand this. It kind of broaches into things that Christians have conflicted over, uh, again, having to do with Israel and ethnic Israel and the tribes. 
So this is not a matter to divide over or call our brothers and sisters that don't agree with us, you know, nasty names <laughs> and pejoratives. I shouldn't be smiling and laughing. I'm thinking of some of those nasty names and pejoratives that are out there, and uh, I hope I haven't used them against my brothers and sisters, uh, <clears throat> but some of them have certainly been used against me uh, and on, on, on these matters. But I, I don't want to... That's neither here nor there, and... Um, so why 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 did Jesus choose twelve? Choosing twelve is Jesus's means of stating that those whom he chose are the foundation of the restored Israel. Okay. Jesus is restoring Israel, and he's doing that by choosing these twelve apostles. And they're going to be the foundation of restoring Israel. And the Old Testament talks a lot about that subject. It talks a lot about the restoration of Israel. And that's where it gets kind of difficult and controversial sometimes. How do we understand all of the restoration promises in our Old Testament? And, and that's where it gets difficult at times. And we're not going to work through all that, but I'm suggesting that the reason jo Jesus chose 12 has to do with this Old Testament promise of Israel's going to be restored. And so with these 12 apostles, uh, <clears throat> Jesus is uh, creating this restored Israel, or, or even you can think of it even as, as a kingdom. And I'm just going to quote here. I got a verse there from Luke, but Jesus, Jesus tells him, but you are those who have, referring to the 12, you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? And, uh, the kingdom that's bestowed upon them, uh, the kingdom is bestowed upon those whom Jesus chooses and calls. See, Jesus is now the head. <laughs> Jesus is now the head of the kingdom. He has all authority. And so the kingdom is bestowed upon those whom Je Jesus chooses and calls. And in Revelation chapter 21, the new city... The New Jerusalem has what names on the 12 foundation stones? It's the 12 names of the apostles are on that ultimate New Jerusalem, that ultimate New, uh, new Israel has the names of the 12 apostles on those foundation stones. So the New Testament is saying, yeah, there is a restoration of Israel, and it's based on these apostles, these 12, uh, whereas in the Old Covenant, we had the kingdom of Israel based on 12 ethnic descendants of Jacob, didn't we? Okay. And But now we have the 12 not based on ethnicity, but based on Jesus' choosing, of which he's going to restore this Israel. Now... <clears throat> 
the ministry of the twelve establishes what? The new people of God as the people of Messiah. We talked about that last week. Who are the people of God? Those that belong to Jesus Christ are the people of God. And in the language of both Testaments, the basic covenant promise has been this. I will be your God and you shall be my people. That basic covenant language is fulfilled now only in the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. If you don't belong to Jesus the Messiah, you are not one of the covenant people of God. If you don't believe in Jesus, whether you're Jew or Gentile, if you reject the Son of God, then you are not one of my people in that covenant promise. And that's where some people get upset, okay? because they want to think of the present ethnic descendant Jews who are presently ethnically descended from Abraham, whether they believe in Jesus or not, they want to think of them as the people of God. Okay, Even while they reject the Son of God, they want us to think about them as the people of God because of their ethnicity. And that's, that's where it gets kind of controversial. I do not think Scripture will support that once we get into the New Covenant. And uh, so... <clears throat> Uh, they can become the people of God by believing in their Messiah. Okay, absolutely, and 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 many and many many ethnic Jews over the centuries have been converted, and we're going to see that in the Book of Acts, aren't we? The first seven chapters, everybody that's being converted in the first seven chapters are Jewish, and so they are the people of God because they believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So. Uh, But that's the great covenant promise that we have to grapple with throughout Scripture. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And that is now fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah. Only those who believe in Jesus, the Son of God, can rightfully bear the title, my people. That is God's people. You cannot reject the Son of God and rightly bear that covenantal title. And that's what that is. That's covenantal language. And you have to be in the covenant in order to be one of God's people. Right? So Jesus is the mediator, what? Of the new covenant. And we read that in the book of Hebrews. He's the mediator of the new covenant between God and Israel on, on the basis of his blood. Just forget about the Gentiles for a moment. And just think about Jesus, God, and Israel. At at this point in history, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant to believing Israelites. And some of you are are somewhat new to this. And and I want to just throw up two passages about about the new covenant, that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And the new covenant started with Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. And Hebrews 8 is, Hebrews 8 is actually quoting from uh, Jeremiah 31. And I thought I would just use Hebrews tonight so you would...
New Testament, all right? <laughs> so Hebrews 8, but now he, Jesus, what, has obtained a more excellent ministry, more excellent ministry than the Levitical priesthood, than the Aaronic priesthood. So Jesus has obtained a more excellent ministry, what? Inasmuch as he is what? He is also what? Mediator of a better covenant. That's the new covenant. Okay. Uh, of a better covenant contrasted with the Mosaic covenant. Okay. Jesus is now, Moses was a mediator of the Mosaic covenant. But you see, Moses was what? A type of Christ. Jesus is now the mediator of the new covenant or the better covenant which was established on better promises. And for if that first covenant, referring to the Mosaic covenant, what had been faultless, there would be no place sought for a second. And, and, and well, let me just follow the author here. Because finding fault with them... He, that is God, says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a, what, new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. Okay. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so we're clearly talking about the Mosaic covenant versus something that's coming. There's a better covenant coming. And we saw that well, we saw the result of the Mosaic Covenant. How 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 did it turn out? <laughs> yeah, the Mosaic Covenant did not turn out very good. It ended in a divorce. The Mosaic Covenant is like a marriage that ends in a divorce. That's the spiritual illustration. Okay, and, and when we get to the Old Testament prophet Hosea, who is having these children that have names, what is one of the names of those children that Hosea has about the fact that this covenant's broken? What was the name of that child? What did the name of the child mean? And what did it mean? It meant not my people. Exactly what I've been saying. You shall be my people, I shall be your God. That broke. Not my people. God divorced his covenant people for persistent idolatry, for unrepentant, persistent idolatry. That covenant was broken. Okay, and that's what the author is saying right here. This new covenant, I'm sorry, this new covenant is not according to the covenant that I made with them when I took them out of Egypt. What? Because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. Okay. So, verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. What? Ah, this covenant's different, right? I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And what? I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is a new covenant, okay? 
And it's Jesus that establishes this new covenant with Israel. And uh, where was the law in the Mosaic covenant? In contrast to this new covenant. Where was it? Right. Written on tablets of stone. So here's the big difference between Mosaic Covenant and New Covenant. Mosaic Covenant, external. Written on tablets of stone. How well did that work? <laughs> it didn't work. New Covenant, in their mind and written on the hearts. Okay? This covenant will succeed because it's the law is written on their mind and on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This covenant is also called the everlasting covenant in the Old Testament because this one will not be broken by either party. This is the everlasting covenant in the blood of Christ, New covenant, everlasting covenant, better, okay? And all of the members of this covenant will know the Lord. See that? None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. That is, all that are in this covenant will know the Lord. Now that's a salvific expression. Because what was the problem in the Old Covenant? They did not know him. That's repeated multiple times. They do not, they did not know me. They did not know my ways. Had they did, had they did, all those who know the Lord put their trust in him. That's a wonderful thing. Those who know the Lord will put their trust in him. I'm saying is, we have some of our brothers and sisters that are going to try to lessen the the salvific nature of that expression. They shall all, in this covenant, they all know the Lord. They're all saved. They're all regenerate. And that is a salvific expression to know the Lord. Okay, they all shall know me. What? From the least of them to the greatest of them. Why? For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Okay? So that's a wonderful thing. They're, 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 they're going to know the Lord. The law is going to be written into their hearts. Okay? And God is going to be merciful to all their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So they know the Lord, they have their sins forgiven, God does not remember their sins, and uh, <clears throat> and then he goes on. Uh, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made what? The first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. So... Here he's writing to a Jewish audience trying to convince them that the Mosaic Covenant is being shut down. And the other thing he's trying to convince them of 
If they want to continue to have that special status, my people, if they want to continue to be one of the my people, they must enter this new covenant. And if they don't, there's no other covenant to enter into. Because the old one is growing old and ready to vanish away. Do you see that? So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about Jesus establishing his new covenant with Israel. Okay, and let me show you one other passage. I'm not being exhaustive, but this passage is, well, that's written to the Jews, and that just doesn't have to do with the Gentiles. Well, let's look at another passage, and that's 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. So he's not writing the Jews here, all right? There may be some Jews in Corinth, but this is predominantly a group of Gentiles in pagan Corinth. And we're going to see the new covenant here also, and we're going to see how it lines up with what I've just been showing you. So let's start begin reading at chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin to commend ourselves, or do we need as some others' epistles or letters of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us. Okay, so he's using an, kind of an illustration. He's going to morph that into the new covenant. You're, you're an epistle of Christ. So Christ is doing the writing. That, okay, you are a letter of Christ. So Christ is the one doing the writing. Ministered by us. And here's going to transition here. Written not with ink but by the Spirit of the living God. Okay? Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Now that is all New Covenant language. Coming out of the Old Testament is where that's coming from. And so now he's telling these Corinthians, these are not Jews, okay? So this New Covenant thing is bigger than just Israel. These Gentiles are going to receive the blessings of this new covenant. That's what he's saying. And we don't have time to develop that fully tonight, but you can really develop that with Ephesians 2 and and Galatians. Um, But that's what he's saying. You Corinthians, all right, you're written by, by the... We're not talking about external. We're talking about written by the Holy Spirit of the living God, which if we read Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel, that's the great promise of the new covenant, forgiveness of sins and the promise of the Spirit. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. All right. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, what? 
who made, I'm going to go up a little, who made, who also made us sufficient as what? Ministers of the new covenant. So the new covenant is here. It's not waiting for the millennium. Okay, that Paul is a minister of this new covenant. So this new covenant with Israel and Judah that somehow the Gentiles are themselves are receiving these benefits, and we'll explain, explain that later. Paul sees himself as a minister of the new covenant, and here's the contrast again, not of the letter, that's the law, okay? Not of the letter, but of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That's the big contrast between Mosaic Covenant and New Covenant. Law versus Spirit. But there's nothing wrong with the law. But the law without the Spirit leads to death. That's the problem. Mosaic Covenant, law without the Holy Spirit. That leads to more sin and more death. Law with the Spirit leads to transformation and salvation. And, and I'm just summarizing Romans 8 in, in what I'm saying here in Romans 7. We're not, it's coming up here, you see. He's not a minister, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Holy Spirit gives, gives life. And, and now what he's going to do is he's going to say how much greater the new covenant is. And, and, he, and he refers to the Mosaic covenant and the law associated with it as a ministry of death. Okay? <laughs> you know, that's why some people say, uh, that's why some people say, you know, Paul had this low, terrible view of the law. No, no, you just gotta, and you gotta gather together all of Paul's expressions about the law to, to get, kind of end up in the right place. It, it's not easy. But here, uh, but if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious. It was glorious, right? He says it was a glorious thing. And there's actually nothing wrong with that law. He's going to say that in Romans 8. There's actually nothing wrong with that law. The problem is, we are of the flesh. Okay? The problem's not with the law, but... But the law is not an instrument that's going to save sinners. It's not. It's not. It's the law that's associated, it's with the new covenant. And I'm starting to go too broad. We're not going to spend that much time. So anyways, what am I trying to show you? I'm trying to show you this concept of new covenant. For some of you here tonight, that's a new concept. And, And... showing you some key passages that we get this concept that that Jesus Christ is the mediator and establishes the new covenant, and it's in his blood. And of course, now how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? And for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, I love this expression, because of the glory that excels. 
20-some years ago, I don't know, 21 years ago maybe, I did a whole series with that title, The Glory Which Excels. And it was kind of dealing with paedobaptism, actually. <laughs> and I got to dig those old notes out. But I used that expression, the glory which excels is that of the new covenant. And there's this tendency to slip back. <laughs> so those two passages are showing us uh, what this new covenant is. And the 12 apostles are ministers of the new covenant. If Paul's a minister of the New Covenant, then they all are. Okay? Jesus is establishing those 12 as the foundational ministers of getting this New Covenant off the ground, so to say, uh, with Israel. So, okay. Now, let's see, let me get back into my notes. None of that was in the notes. I scribbled these additional verses. I decided we need, kind of needed to look at those passages and um, uh, let's see. Yeah, oh, mediator new covenant. That's where I. That's where I broke off. So <clears throat> now, um, oh yeah, as Jesus sat with his twelve Jewish, twelve Jewish apostles at the Passover meal and the Last Supper. Remember what he said when he instituted the cup. Very important. This cup is what? The new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Okay. Now, the Mosaic covenant was instituted with blood too, wasn't it? Absolutely. What kind of blood? Animal blood. Animal blood. And it was sprinkled on the people, right? Now, what happens is this new covenant is not instituted with animal blood. It's instituted with Jesus' blood. And we're sprinkled too, not literally, but we are sprinkled with this blood in a, in a spiritual sense. So, and, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, obviously, from the passages we've just looked at, this applies both to Israel, ethnic Jews, but it also is applying to Gentiles. And I'm not going to develop all of that here, but what it is, of course, is the Gentiles are grafted in to the same covenants of promise. Okay. They're grafted in. There's not a new set of promises. God is going to save Israel and God is going to save Israel through the new covenant. And guess what? You and I get grafted into the same salvation. Going all the way back to which covenant? Abrahamic covenant. In you, Abraham, what? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we are, God's going to save Israel. God always, you know, it helps with dispensationalists. You can kind of, God, we're not taking any promises away from Israel. All the promises that God made to Israel, they're all going to be fulfilled. And you know what? I get them too. I get to receive them too. And that's Ephesians 2 and 3. So we're not taking anything away from Israel. We're just insisting that we become, in Christ, we become joint heirs of the covenants of promise. 
that's historically how God has worked out the plan of salvation. And maybe sometime we need to do, we need to do some covenant theology and, and go through this. So, okay, so you see the, the Gentiles are in there because we're in Christ. And uh, you can read Romans 11 and Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 and Romans 4 and Galatians 3. Just read all of those together and you'll get it. Just, you don't even need me. You don't need me. Just read all of those I've just mentioned together. And with this little introduction, you'll, you'll start to see it. And, and it, it's a wonderful thing. So Jesus is meeting the new covenant. Uh, the, the Lord's Supper constantly reminds us of that. So Jesus choosing the twelve and bestowing the kingdom on them and making them the first members of the new covenant in his blood is establishing a new restored Israel or new covenant Israel. That's what he's establishing. However, unbelieving ethnic Jews, I've already said that, are not part of the new restored Israel. That's where it gets somewhat controversial. Unbelieving ethnic Jews are not part of the new restored covenant in Israel. The distinction that Paul makes in Romans 9, 6 and 2, 25 to 29 is now in full effect since Jesus has come. And that distinction, I better, I better throw that up. Some of you know that, some of you don't. But it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. Okay. That distinction has now come into full effect with the coming of Christ. There are two senses of being Israel. They are not all Israel who are of Israel. And I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go into that in detail. I've done that other places. Maybe we can do that some other time. But you see, there's a distinction here now because some in Israel are believers and others are not. And people are charging Paul, Paul, you're crazy because you're saying not all ethnic Jews are saved. If you read Romans, Paul very directly says that in Romans chapter 2, and he says it again in Romans chapter 9, he's going to say it. And they're saying, Paul, you can't be wrong. You must be wrong. Then then God's promises to Israel have failed. And Paul says, no, no, his promises haven't failed. They haven't failed. And he begins to explain why they haven't failed. There is this distinction in our concept of Israel. Okay? And uh, so this is coming into full effect. And, of course, he said that earlier in chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. We should just read this. Uh, This is where he is showing many Jews that unless they come to Christ, uh, they're not God's people. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. Here's he talking about physical circumcision. Has anyone done that? (laughs) Other than Jesus. Other than Jesus, has anyone done that? No. No one has done that. 
So what does that tell you about physical circumcision? You better not place your hope on being physically circumcised. (laughs) Because no one has ever kept the law. We know that. So physical circumcision better not be what you're trusting in. If you're trusting in the fact that you're an ethnic descendant of Abraham and you were physically circumcised, you're lost. You are lost. That's Paul's message in this whole chapter for Romans chapter 2. And all kinds of Jewish people, the time of Paul, that's exactly where their trust is. Remember what John the Baptist had to tell those Jews? Do say we are what? I do not say we are Abraham's children. God is able to raise the children of Abraham from these stones. And I bet you John pointed at the stones there at the Jordan. You're, you're, okay. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Let's put our covenant theology hat back on. If you're not circumcised, what does that mean about your covenant relationship with God? You're outside of it. That's exactly what that means. This is Hosea, not my people. Not my people. So if you're a breaker of the law, as most in Israel were, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. You're not my people. And that's exactly what happened. Except for the remnant, but that's, that's, that's another track. But, so therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? I told you Romans 2 is by far the most difficult chapter to exegete in the book of Romans. I think that's a hypothetical case for the sake of argument, is, is, is what he's saying. Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? <clears throat> and will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, that's a big if, <laughs> But if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. This is a precursor to Romans 9, 6. I should have read them in the other direction. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Okay. He's not a Jew who is one outwardly. Well, what do you mean? Well, this is new covenant. Romans 9, 6, Romans chapter 2, Paul is talking like new covenant. That's why he can say he's not a Jew. There's there's a new covenant meaning as to what it means to be an Israelite. So, all right. So let's keep reading here. And, okay. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. And it's like, Paul, you're blowing my mind. We've practiced outward circumcision according to the law of Moses commanded by God for a millennium. 
Paul's saying, I'm talking about the new covenant. I'm not talking about the Mosaic covenant. See, circumcision obviously was outward in the flesh. See? But that circumcision never saved. Do you have a question? I have a comment. Is it, is it on this subject? Circumcision. Physical. How about women? That, that's, off our, that's off the track. Okay. From, that's off, we can talk about that some other time, but that's kind of off the track of what I'm, what I'm trying to show here. Yeah. We don't need to discuss that. The point I want you to get is I want you to see the difference between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant. That's what I want you to focus on thinking about. Forget about the ladies and all that issue. You need to understand the difference between Mosaic Covenant and the transition to, to New Covenant. Okay? So, and, and, and how that relates to ethnic Israel. And, and I'm, I'm also putting this in the context of how does this relate to ethnic Israel. So, so Paul is saying he's not a Jew is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one, what, inwardly, and here it is, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter. So the circumcision that counts in the New Testament is performed by the Holy Spirit in the heart. That's New Covenant circumcision. And as much as I love our Pado-Baptist brothers and sisters, that is not baptism. Old Testament outward circumcision of the flesh is fulfilled with new covenant circumcision by the Holy Spirit in the heart. Okay, that's how to connect it. And he connects it right here. And he also connects it in Colossians chapter 2. And not to baptism. He connects it in Colossians chapter 2 about us being crucified with Christ. Oh yeah, in in Romans 6. But in in here, in in Romans 2 and in Colossians uh, 2, circumcision is actually brought up in those two contexts. So, so that's, I mean, that's one of the weaknesses, I would say, in the, in the Pado-Baptist understanding. They have to redefine, they, they have to change, they can't step up to the New Testament concept of circumcision. They, they, they can't step up to that. Uh, and there's reasons why they are, are unwilling to do that, because everybody who has this circumcision is what? Converted. <laughs> Anybody circumcised this way is converted. And of course, they have the problem, they want unbelievers to be part of the new covenant. Right, that's correct. They, they, they want the new covenant membership to equal the visible church. And that's, that's a bigger subject. But some of the foundation I'm laying here is a foundation to help grapple your way through those, those things. So, 
So he is a Jew, but he is a Jew. One inwardly circumcision is out of the heart and the spirit, uh, not in the letter. So this is what we're talking about when we're saying that Christ is establishing a new covenant, and this is the new Israel. Okay, and uh, so, all right. Now, without taking the time to demonstrate in detail this transition from Mosaic Covenant Israel to New Covenant Israel, it can be summarized like this. I'm on the bottom of 272. Mosaic Covenant Israel. One, become, one became part of Mosaic Covenant Israel by being a physical descendant of Abraham and being physically circumcised and the Mosaic Covenant law is external, written on tablets of stone. So in that sense, they all were my people in the, old co- in the Mosaic Covenant sense. Whether they had faith or not was secondary. You were in that Mosaic Covenant if you were a descendant of Abraham and you received physical circumcision. You were in that Mosaic Covenant. And you were promised the peace of the promised land, physically. Okay, that's Mosaic Covenant and how you got in. In New Covenant Israel, one becomes part of New Covenant Israel by an inward circumcision of the heart, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, by the Holy Spirit, and the law is written on one heart's internally, inwardly. Okay. that's the difference. And of course, the new covenant, one more word, is the fulfillment of the types and shadows of the old. The old shadow, physical circumcision. And God said, you know, what you really need is circumcision of the heart. <laughs> That's the fulfillment. Do I have it here? Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. No, I don't. Let me, let's just throw up Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 6. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, which we know happened, We're way back at Deuteronomy now. They haven't even entered the promised land yet. You're driven out from the farthest farthest parts under heaven. From there the Lord will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And look at this. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. That's the promise. That promise is fulfilled in the new covenant. And at the day of Pentecost going forward, that promise of Deuteronomy has begun fulfillment. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 hearts got circumcised by the Holy Spirit. 
Okay. So that's the transition. And that takes place with the coming of the Messiah who establishes this new covenant. All right. So how do the Gentiles fit in? How do the Gentiles fit in? Well, how did they... Now, this is, this is important. How did the Gentiles fit in under the Mosaic Covenant? They were allowed to be proselytes. That's correct. They, were in, they, they could in. The Gentiles could enter that Mosaic Covenant by becoming a proselyte. And what did they have to do to be a proselyte? And what else? They, they had to confess Yahweh was a true God and be circumcised. If they confess Ruth, she, she wasn't circumcised, Thelma, <laughs> okay, so you're gonna, you're gonna get me on this, but Ruth becomes a member of the uh, uh, Mosaic Covenant. She confesses Yahweh as her God. And now if you were a male, you would have to be circumcised or you would not be able to enter that Mosaic Covenant. So in the Mosaic Covenant period of time, an idolater can confess Yahweh's the God, true God, receive circumcision, and now he's one of my people. He's one of God's people under the Mosaic Covenant. And it, he is so much one of God's people in the Mosaic Covenant, without distinction, that he even inherits a portion of the land. There's no more distinction. Once he says, Yahweh's my God, and he receives circumcision, he's an Israelite. Ah. New concept. He's an Israelite. By virtue of the fact that he's in the covenant. It's the covenant that gives you the special status. Not ethnicity. That helps you understand Romans 9, 6. The covenant makes you an Israelite, not ethnicity. And an ethnic Jew cannot be an Israelite. An ethnic Jew who is cut off from the covenant is no longer an Israelite, but he's an ethnic Jew. Israel is covenant membership. That's a biblical definition of Israel that works both new and old. Now, where am I going with this? What about the Gentiles? That's why I brought up this question. What about the Gentiles? How do they get in? Well, how do they get in under the Mosaic Covenant? Confess that Yahweh is a true God and be circumcised. How do they get in the New Covenant? Confess that Jesus is the Son of God and what? Be circumcised. Confess that Jesus... They have to be circumcised to get in the covenant. They're circumcised by the Holy Spirit. That's how the Gentiles get in. And it's exactly parallel to the Mosaic Covenant. They get in the same way. You need to be circumcised to get in. In the New Covenant you're circumcised by the Holy Spirit, just like a believing Jew is circumcised by the Holy Spirit. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. 
You see how, how that works? Gentile salvation works that way. We get the inner because we confess Jesus as the true Messiah and Son of God and we're circumcised by the Holy Spirit and we're full-fledged members of the new covenant. And all the promises in the Old Testament about this restored new covenant Israel even though they don't mention the Gentiles and some of those promises, those are still our promises. Those are all, the promises are in the covenant. And if you're in the covenant, then you receive all the promises. So all of those promises about the restoration of Israel and, and the new covenant and all that restoration, those are our promises as Gentiles circumcised in Christ. That's how we get in. That's how we get in. And of course, Jesus talked about this. I have other sheep, which are what? Not of this fold. fold. And what else does he say? (laughs) I must call them, and they shall all be what? One flock with one shepherd. There is now no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile. So in the new covenant, it's not like there's a set of promises for the Jews and a set of promises for the Gentiles. No, there's no distinction. One flock with one shepherd. I must call them. Okay, That's the new covenant membership. So... um, Okay. <clears throat> you know, when we get to the promise of the Holy Spirit, we'll revisit this a little bit and we'll go to Ezekiel 37. So, I know I took a lot, you know, I thought, I thought I could do it in 15 or 20 minutes, but, the, so what, what, what does all this have, okay, what does all this have to do with the book of Acts? <laughs> okay. What does all this have to do with the book of Acts? is Luke is giving us an account of how restored New Covenant Israel comes to life. Acts chapter 1 through 7 is the calling of the Jewish people into the New Covenant. And Acts 8 through 28 is how the believing Gentiles are brought into sharing in all the promises made to Israel. That's what the book of Acts is. It's the establishment of this new covenant and this new Israel that's made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles. Book of Acts is the history of that establishment. So, okay. Now, that's just, this is the Cliff Notes version. So, <laughs> sometime we'll, we'll, we'll work it through more slowly and, and, and cover, cover more passages. But yeah, the 12... Apostles chosen are those chosen to found this new Israel. Any questions or comments? Anybody? There you go. I got to get out of here. You're probably thinking this. Is, no. no, this is great. Okay. Okay. If you want to read further on this,
there's a paper on the website, and it's called The Unsearchable Riches of Christ Among the Gentiles. Because one of the big issues in the paper that motivated the paper was this issue about the promises. We as Gentiles, do we have the same promises that Israel has? And that's the title on the paper. But it's really about covenant theology and the promises. It's called The Unsearchable Riches of Christ Among the Gentiles. And maybe we should, on some Wednesday night, just go through that whole thing. It's been a long time. You know, there's a tendency when you teach one thing, you say, oh, I already taught that. But, well, that was 20 years ago, and 70% of the people are different now. <laughs> You guys are great. Uh, you've been you've been attentive, and uh, well, thank you very much for so okay. Thelma, you want to ask your question now? Not sure. No. Um, I'm okay. just glad that I was not born then. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons, the, the fact that, that ethnic descendancy is through the male, okay, that has something to do with why the females aren't circumcised, but the, but the males are. It's because in that culture and this thinking. Because that's what I've heard. Yeah. Yes, okay. Okay, so that's, that's my short answer about about the female circumcision thing. All right, well, I, I, guess, I guess I'll, I'll lead us in prayer as we, as we finish. Father, we thank you for the glory which excels uh, because it's based upon the work of your Son and this wonderful relationship we can have with you, that you are our God and we belong to you and that we are your people. Lord, that, that is such a wonderful, wonderful expression. Help us understand it and, and help us see that in that you are fully committed to save us. Demonstrated by the fact, Lord, that you gave your Son to be the mediator of this covenant in his blood. So help us, Lord, understand and grasp the certainty of our total final salvation and glory because you're our covenant-keeping God sealed in the blood of your own Son. Thank you. That's, that's our expression tonight, Lord. And help us see these things more clearly in a way that we trust more and grumble less, we trust more and sin less, and that our hope is our hope is stirred up in a way like we've been studying in in the in the letter of Peter, uh, that that this wonderful hope uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.